Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening as we just dissect the hell out of these movies. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are continuing our month-long theme of bad and beautiful deadly women in horror. And we are going to be discussing the 2002 film May from writer-director Lucky McKee, which I am just... So excited about because I love this movie so dearly. This is one of your favorites, <laughs> right? It, it holds a very special place for me, yes, um, which I'll get into in a second. But uh, So we have our usual spoiler-free content before we get into May and all of that. So as far as releases this week go, uh, a few interesting ones. Uh, so there's also a film called Block Island Sound coming to Netflix this week, and this one was reviewed by our writer Paul Bauer on KillerHorrorCritic.com. You can follow Paul on Twitter at uh, Nasty Woman, and Nasty is with two S's, so a nasty woman. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's kind of like a weird sort of meditative uh, aquatic horror film dealing with this town where people are being plagued by like this weird sound that's kind of driving them insane, and I don't really want to get too much more into it than that, but... Uh, this was another solid film. Both Paul and I really enjoyed it. Uh, so we we'll definitely recommend checking that one out when it comes to Netflix. Uh, and then lastly is a film called Come True. And this will be on VOD by the time you're listening to this. This film was reviewed by Amy Lou Ahava on KillerHorrorCritic.com. And you can follow Amy Lou on Twitter at Amy Lou Ahava. And that's A-M-Y-L-O-U-A-H-A-V-A. This one's essentially about a woman who is experiencing night terrors and these really strange dreams, and, shows, and so she uh, signs up for the, like this sleep study, and long story short, uh, ends up uncovering some of the secrets behind the night terrors that she's been having. This one, uh, I, I was more of a fan of it than Amy Lou was. Uh, we both we both really enjoyed it though, but but I just thought that this film is such a dreamy kind of nightmarish like meditative kind of surreal film that you know when i'm mentioning night tears and stuff do not picture a nightmare on elm street that's not what this movie is (laughs) (laughs) it's it's much more just like very uh kind of quiet and eerie and dreamy you know it's that kind of movie okay um but there's a whole sequence in the end that amy lou and i very much disagree on (laughs) where where she's not a huge fan of it but i i love how just like strange and surreal the final act of this movie gets but (laughs) Uh, but so that's another one that highly recommend checking out uh so we also like to do a poll on twitter every week on at killer from space just getting your thoughts and feelings on the film that we're discussing so with may between love it it's fine don't like it never seen it where do you think the audience falls on this one uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna guess it's fine you are wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so May is one of those movies that I, I think I think most people that do end up watching it really end up enjoying it. So uh, Love It got 55.8%. Uh, it's Fine was 15.4%. Don't Like It was 3.8%. And Never Seen It was uh, a whopping 25%. Oh, shit. Which, it doesn't surprise me. You know, this is a film from 2002. And for whatever reason, May just kind of... I don't want to say it flew under the radar because it has a really mm. big cult following, but I think at the time it released, it kind of flew under the radar a bit. And okay. it's it's over the last couple decades, I think, started to really gain that following for it. Uh, but it is still a film that goes a little bit underseen. You know, mm. it's it, it's one that just feels like it took a long time to find its audience, which is unfortunate because I think May's just... A, you love it. 
I, I, I just think it's a beautiful, just really well-crafted and written film and, and acted, uh, which we're getting into. But uh, so before we get into our listener comments, for those who haven't seen May, this is essentially a film that stars Angela Bettis as this woman named May who had a rough upbringing where she was kind of taught to be perfect and and she has a lazy eye that you know just led to a whole thing where she just ended up not really making any friends and by the time we meet her as an adult she's kind of a very lonely woman who you know just doesn't really have any friends or human interaction really and the film kind of takes us through multiple interactions where she is dating and or like sexually encountering people and and trying to form these friendships and just none of them seem to work out (laughs) And without spoiling what happens, let's just say that May decides she's going to create her own friend, and <laughs> uh, which leads to a pretty bloody uh, conclusion to the movie. But <laughs> so, as far as listener comments go, at M Sawzall, so that's M S A W Z A L L, and again, these are all on Twitter. Uh, says Angela Bettis is such an underrated actor. Have yet to see a film that she was in that she didn't make ten times better. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. She's fantastic in this film. She does such a good job playing this character who is very socially awkward and showing her development and her mental stability. She brings so much to this character that I think that's the reason why this movie is so good because I don't think anybody else could play May as well. Well, it's one of those films, I think, where you watch it and then you can't imagine anybody else in the role. You know, like, I'm sure there are actresses out there that totally yeah. could have totally played the character, but once you watch Angela Bettis in the role... Then no one else can. Then no one else can, <laughs> because she's so perfect in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she fit this character beautifully, like, and she just brings her to life in, in such a wonderful yet uncomfortable and creepy (laughs) tragic way you know that you just can't you cannot take your eyes off her performance something that I love about it and then we'll go on something I love about it is that you know Angela Bettis plays the character in such a way that even though you are on May's side for the majority of the film and you're kind of rooting for her throughout yeah despite that She's played with such a just awkward strangeness that you never really know what to expect from May. You know, like Angela Bettis plays her in such a way that in every instance, you just never know what May's going to (laughs) do. You know, because it can range anywhere from being extremely violent to extremely awkward to nice and sweet. Like you just never, you never know what you're going to get from May and Angela Bettis' performance. And so it just has you so on edge throughout this entire movie. (laughs) Uh, that I just love it. Um, so yes, no, totally agree, uh, M. Sozzle. It's Angela Bettis is great. <laughs> and, and another recent film that you can see her in, if you haven't yet, is called 12 Hour Shift. It also has David Arquette, uh, and it was written by Brie Grant, I think. But phenomenal movie, involves Angela Bettis <laughs> as like an organ stealer at a hospital. It's really great. She's so fucking good in that. <laughs> and she's so great in it, like always. Uh, but anyway, so yes, thank you, M. Sozzle, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at paper strt soap, and they just say it's a classic, hands down. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> yep, also yep. agree. Um, <laughs> and, and I do think, and the reason I put it in there is I, I do think that the film is slowly becoming a classic. Yeah, you know, a cult classic. It wasn't successful at the time that I know of, at least not in the way that you would consider a classic. You know, like Bride of Frankenstein or something, but. Um, but it is definitely devol- developing its cult following and becoming that cult classic that it really should have deserved the same attention when it was released, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, thank you at Paper Street Soap for the comment. Appreciate it. And lastly is a comment from uh, one of our writers on KillerHorrorCritic.com, Ren, uh, who is at B underscore Roll Banshee. So that's the letter B underscore Roll B-A-N-S-H-E-E. They say they were just fucking with me. They say... Shouldn't the only options on this poll be love it or never seen it, though? <laughs> and, and I will just say to that, yes, Red, I know that <laughs> for me and you, those are definitely the only options. But no, but thank you, Ren, for the comment. Uh, I, and I, I just want to throw out there, like, you know, yes, this movie is just, it's wonderful. Like, that's why Ren leaves a comment there. It's, it's such a great film. You know, to anyone who didn't like it or, or just liked it okay, I totally get that. You know, it's not, it's, 
not at all a movie for everybody. <laughs> I am absolutely going to break my husband's heart by saying, I think it's okay. It's I fine. I hate you. We're getting divorced. Um, <laughs> but no, but, well, you know, and we'll talk about why yeah. that why that difference might be. But anyway, thank you, Ren, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, so before we get into spoiler territory, we'll also like to do a tagline versus the film with these movies and just kind of get our general thoughts on the film. So with me, the tagline was, there are no good holes, just parts. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline, and what do you think of May overall? Oh, fucking weird tagline. You're a weird tagline. <laughs> you hate everything. I you do like not, anything. I do not hate everything. I like a lot of things. Uh-huh. We just talked about Mary Lou, who I love, so. Indeed. Well, you're a monster if you don't like Mary Lou's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... My brain went to an inappropriate place. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> I, had, you, I heard the word holes. I got distracted. Um, no, but I think the tagline really works for, for May and the whole setup with it. You know, we're still in spoiler-free territory, so I think it plays very well into our end result type of thing, so it works. Yeah, I think I think this movie's okay. It's fine. You're a monster. <laughs> well, look, uh, this movie is very much like it's your your awkward, you know, uh, socially awkward character trying to connect with the world. And there's a lot of secondhand embarrassment in this film. Well, that's like, why you don't like it is because the movie's I, so effective. <laughs> like, well, and that's you know, I'm when I'm saying that I think a movie is okay. Yeah, for me, it's a hundred percent coming from an emotional state. Because, like, yeah, I think this movie is really well written and acted and really well done. But me as a person, I don't want to watch it that much because I get really embarrassed. Chris's review. <laughs> it made me feel things. Don't like it. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, so the reason you don't like it is exactly the reason I think that May is amazing is this film is so effective. You know, this yeah. film, this film does make you feel such an incredible amount of secondhand embarrassment, as Chris put it. Uh, for May's sake, because, you know, again, th- this woman is so awkward that, you know, there are moments where, for instance, there's this cute boy that she likes and she stalks him at a coffee shop <laughs> and then he falls asleep and she, like, tries putting her hand or her head in his hands to, like, yeah. let his hands feel her face and then he wakes up and catches her, right? You know, so, like, it- it's so full of moments like that. And-, and look, to your credit, I will say the first time I watched this, too, I definitely felt all of that you know mm. like you you really feel the the pain and embarrassment and frustration of this character yes. like it really hits home but again that's why i think it's great you know like you have to look at these movies as to how they're how they are effective or they're if they're being effective and you know with may i think that's the reason that 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 there's the audience that doesn't like it or isn't a big fan of it because, you know, obviously not everybody wants to feel that way. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't want to so, feel anything. So, look, I mean, if you don't want to feel, if you don't want the movie to be effective on you in that way, like, then I get it why it's not sitting well, right? Yeah. Uh, but for those of us that love it, like, I, I can speak for myself. You know, part of the reason that I love this movie so much, aside from just it being so effective, is that, you know, I, it, it, part of it, in a sense, is nostalgia, and I don't want that to undercut like how great the film itself is. But when I say, it, in a sense, it's nostalgia. It's just that the film has a really special place for me because you know this came out in two thousand two, and I ended up catching it at a time that just every thematic of the movie hit me really hard. You know, I I was going through a, a really bad breakup at the time. I didn't really know where I wanted to be in life at the moment. Uh, I felt very lonely, you know, and kind of like the character of May. And honestly, it always kind of felt like that. Like I was mm. bullied uh, in school. And so, you know, I, I, I strongly relate to May and like the trouble with making <laughs> friends sometimes. Like yeah. I have a very difficult time with that, <laughs> uh, which might surprise some of you who listen to me and I sound like super outgoing and stuff, but like I'm actually like super afraid of people. So <laughs> He's very shy. <laughs> So I, I, I relate to her in a lot of senses, and when I watch this movie, you know, it sounds dumb, but this is why movies are, you know, such an essential art, I think, in life for a lot of us, is that, you know, I watch this movie, and it was this cathartic kind of 90 minutes where for an hour and a half, you know, I felt like there was someone out there who understood how I felt in the moment, who, 
who made me feel like I wasn't the only lonely person out there who had trouble making friends, right? Like, uh-huh. it, you know, so it's that kind of thing where it's like I just related to the character so deeply that it felt like I saw myself on screen, you know, aside from the murder part. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like I saw myself on screen in a sense, and that's just so vitally important for, for all of us, you know, uh, to be able to see ourselves in one way or another on screen and have these characters that we can kind of identify with. So, so no, so that that's uh, a entirely why I love this movie, and then it's just, it is very effective. I, I love the way that it ends up playing out, as tragic as it is, you know? <laughs> I love the ending. Like, yeah. I love once we get to the very end. That's the part of the movie that I like. But, like, all of the awkwardness leading up to it, it's very effective. Chris is very much a give-me-murder-now kind of kind of film-goer. It's why, it's why you love slashers, you know? Yes. They're, they're pretty dumb and just let's uh-huh. get some let's get some kill counts in here <laughs> look if you make me feel secondhand embarrassment i'm not gonna watch your movie that much i'm already embarrassed in real life i don't need to feel it in a movie too <laughs> that that's fair all right so on that note uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and spoil may for you so if you haven't seen it uh it should be streaming on tubi and pluto tv in the u.s so you can check it out there both of those apps are free so definitely recommend watching it beforehand if you haven't yet Otherwise, we will see you in a second. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating, as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killer horror critic thank you so much for your support and i hope you enjoy tonight's episode all right and we're back here talking about the 2002 film may from writer director lucky mckee who you might actually know uh from a few other films he's he directed a movie called the woods which is kind of like a vaguely modern suspiria early you know modern for the time it came out in like 2005 <laughs> or something but <laughs> uh but he did in the he did the woman uh, he also did uh, All Cheerleaders Must Die, which is kind of a fun one. But anyway, so in May, we always like to start off with who we're talking about. We are about to get into spoiler territory now. So again, if you haven't seen the movie, please do go check it out on Tubi or Pluto TV if you're in the U.S. It should be streaming on both of those services there. But we always like to talk about just kind of who we want to talk about, who caught our eye in this movie. So, you know, you have May played by Angela Bettis. Uh, her love interest, Adam, is played by Jeremy Sisto. Uh, her co-worker, Polly, is played by Anna Faris. Uh, who's someone that caught your eye in this movie? Uh, Polly did because she's amazing. Oh, she's I, something. She's, <laughs> you don't think she's awesome? I think she has her, her flaws. <laughs> See, I, I really like Polly. I really like Anna Faris's you know, portrayal of her because she's this really cool, like, fluid woman. So Polly's our, our lesbian co-worker that, like, ends up hitting on um on May later on in the film. Yeah, which I, you didn't even notice. I didn't. It's, she literally asked her to come back to her apartment and eat melons with her. I assume <laughs> she just wanted to eat fruit. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, this movie is about a whole bunch of socially awkward people. I just assumed that Polly was also slightly socially awkward. Yeah, um, she's socially awkward in her flirting. No, she is who not. Asked, she is, is not socially awkward. Who asked you to come home and eat melons with them? That's she is the, the most weirdest confident ever. lady ever. She is confident, but she's awkward about flirting. She <laughs> is. But I think that's what I really like about Polly is that like she's. This is our second movie this month where we're getting a really strong um woman who is really in touch with her own sexuality. Like Polly is super comfortable in her sexuality and hardcore hitting on people. Like, yes, I'm in the same boat as May of I did not realize that Polly was hitting on her until she's dancing on the table. And I went, hey, I think that she likes May. Right. <laughs> yeah, th- this is why it's so much fun to watch movies with Chris sometimes. Because, like, you I don't... You, missed, you missed the melons line. It... You, you missed, like, the other obvious flirting. And then it, it took all the way until... Polly was literally on the table in a dress in front of May and like inches from her face asking if she likes pussy for you to finally be like, oh, I think she's hitting on her. Look, I'm really slow when it comes to flirting. Like, 
you know, for me, if it's not bullying, it's not flirting. So when people are positive for flirting, I just don't pick up on it. Yeah, Chris never grew up from the, you know, if, if a boy picks on you in school, it means they like you mentality. Oh, no, no, <laughs> if a boy picks on me, I have no interest in him, but I want to pick on the boy. That's, That's true. what you I did, did to pick, you. You did pick on me. Um, so, so no, yeah, no, Polly is great. Uh, I mean, I love Anna Faris. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she's always really funny and she does add a good kind of sense of humor to this movie. But I do really appreciate the character because she is kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, she's everything May wants to be. You know, yes. she's she's confident. She she knows who she is. She's very comfortable in her skin. Mm-hmm. And these are all things that May is not, <laughs> you know, right. like May, like I like it never may never comes out and says anything like this but you definitely get the impression that may maybe wishes she could be a bit more like polly you know because may may has her own frustration with dating and with relationships and i think that she just you know maybe admires polly in the sense of polly is this woman who just knows what she wants and goes and gets it you know exactly (laughs) the only reason i was shitting on uh, on polly (laughs) at all is just that polly is so unbelievably dumb like to to a degree that is not even realistic <laughs> that <laughs> that they're that you know I, I, it's just like i can't stand it at certain times i mean for god's sakes she doesn't even know what the word scoopal she doesn't know that the doctor's trying to say scalpel you know it's like come on you work in a vet like <laughs> yeah but so she's a receptionist she doesn't know anything in the back I would be. I would still be able to figure out what the doctor meant if he said it. He needed a scoople. So. Look, I'm saying this in a positive way. I love her because she's a dumb slut. Like she's the best, and it's one of the things I do really like about this film and with Polly is that she's a very look. She's a take on all comers. She hooks up with quite a few women throughout this, but I like the fact that she at no point in time in this movie is act- actively slut shamed, which is awesome. No, yeah, and, and look, this is something that Lucky McKee is really great at with his work. He always, in my opinion, he always does really femme-positive movies. Mm-hmm. You know, e- even a film called All Cheerleaders Die that <laughs> that's meant to be more femme-positive than, than than the title might make you think. But but no, he's great with that. But, you know, who I want to mention really quick is just Adam, the, this love interest of May, uh, played by Jeremy Sisto. First of all, I'll just say Sisto does a great job in the role, too. Honestly, everybody is fantastic in their roles in this movie. Like, McKee just casted this film perfectly. Yeah. But the thing about Adam that that I've always kind of wondered and tried to decipher is how much does he actually like May? You know, it, it's, something, it's something I've always tried to, like, put my finger on. And, and I feel like the answer kind of changes all the time depending on your mood because... You know, when I look at Adam, here's this guy who seems confident in himself. He He's uh, uh, very much a representation of, I think, you know, a bunch of film bros at the time, yeah. right? Like, especially in the <laughs> early 2000s. He's very film bro-y, like, to, <laughs> to a degree that these days makes me want to vomit, you know, because he, <laughs> he reminds me of being in film school with these people and being, like, one myself at the time, you know? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for example, Adam makes the comment... Uh, when when May asks him for a date that that eve or that afternoon or whatever, and he says something like, um, "Oh, I'm gonna go see uh this Dario Argento movie Trauma at the theater," and she's like, "Trauma? Is that a movie?" Or I, I don't remember how he phrases it, but she asks, "Like, is that a movie or something?" Mm-hmm. And he goes, "You've never seen Trauma?" And I just want to be <laughs> like, "Hey, Adam, bro, uh, fuck you. Fucking most people haven't seen Trauma. All right, there are a bunch of horror fans that haven't seen Trauma. Like, lay off, dude. You know." <laughs> But but he, he is that representation of like your your typical film bro at the time who, you know, is always asking those questions like, What do you mean you haven't seen this movie? Which I just wanna throw out there. Next time someone says they haven't seen a film that you really love, instead of being like, How do you how have you not seen this movie, you idiot? You know, or whatever reaction you have, just be like Oh, cool! What a great opportunity for you to show for me to show you this great film, you know? Yeah, and then tell them why it's amazing. <laughs> exactly, without being a dick about it. Without but, being a dick. But anyway, so Adam's kind of got that attitude, which you know is kind of like a fun reflection <laughs> for me at this time in 2021, looking back on it and being like, oh, I think I kind of was like that guy at the time, you know? I think was. a lot of. I'm not like that anymore. <laughs> He's not. Uh, but I, but I, but a lot of us film people, like if you went to film school, you were probably like Adam at one point in your life, right? Yep. But anyway, back to the question at hand. You know, does he like May? It's hard to say because, you know, he... When they first meet, you know, like officially meet at the Mm -hmm. laundromat, I think it is. I think he kind of 
gets the sense that May likes him, and yeah. maybe he's kind of like, eh, whatever, another piece of ass for me to tap. You know, yeah. that's kind of the impression you get from it. Because um, he definitely senses that, like, she's socially awkward and weird and whatever, but he doesn't seem too put off by that. And then it's like, you know, the further it goes, I mean, yeah, he's trying to sleep with her really quick because, you know, their first date, he brings her back to his place after she expresses interest in him with, and his <laughs> hands, right? Uh, he, he, the first thing he says is, you want to go, you want to see my room, you know, mm-hmm. after she says that he's perfect. So he's obviously, like, taking advantage a bit. But then I just wonder, like, when they get to the place and when she does do the weird thing of, you know, taking his fake knife and putting it through her her heart and then his, and then she's, like, not freaked out at all by all the, like, crazy, weird, horror memorabilia shit that he has all over his room, you know? I do wonder if he starts to feel something for her, at least in a sense of, you know, here's someone who's not freaked out by the things that I love, and I can tell you, like, just being a horror fan, whenever you do meet uh, a partner like that, mm-hmm. it is kind of an immediate, like, oh, my God, someone that isn't going <laughs> to run away screaming when I ask to watch, like, audition later tonight or something, yeah. you know? So. <laughs> yeah, I... Adam is kind of a conundrum in that sense because, like, I almost think that he refuses to be out-weirded. Like, mm. I think that he's so set in his mind of, like... Look, I'm I'm going to do a Riverdale quote here because I feel like it's applicable. Okay. Like, it's the Jughead quote of, like, I'm weird. I'm a weird guy. Like, don't you notice how fucking weird I am? Like, I feel like it's that sort of a thing. And then he meets May, who's really awkward, and he definitely does just want to, like, sleep with. And then she starts out weirding him. Like, she's you know, has tendencies that are more brutal than his are. Mm. And I think that there's a part of his dude bro personality where he's just like, no way, man. No way can this well, chick be weirder than me. <laughs> well, let's let's be let's be a little bit fair to Adam and say that if you if if on our first date you had bit my lip and then rubbed my blood all over your body <laughs> I might be pretty weirded out by that and decide, yeah. you know what, maybe this I, is a pass. <laughs> I think that that is a very applicable time to be like, yeah, nope, I'm done. Yeah, so so let's not let's not be too hard on him for for finding that she's too weird, but let what I will say is, you know, I do think that it's initially just to sleep with her, but then I also start to think, you know, something that is that that seems applicable for the characters in this movie is, you know, despite how confident both Adam and Polly may be, I do vaguely get the sense that both are also lonely people just like May. Oh, definitely. And and that's part of the tragedy of it is, you know, just focusing on Adam for a second, like, I do think that Adam's probably lonely because, again, being the kind of person that Adam was at the time, like, you know, especially in the 2000s and before then, before before horror became cool, like, look, some of you younger (laughs) listeners, you gotta understand, like, liking this genre meant that people thought you were a serial killer for a very long time. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to be a teenager right now in love horror. I, it seems to have become more popularized. But there was a time where if you were like Adam or like me or like yourself listening to this horror podcast or like Chris, if you liked horror, you were a freak, like straight up. Like nobody even wanted to hear an argument on it. You're just <laughs> a freak for liking the genre, right? So, So I have to wonder, like, is there some loneliness in Adam? Like, maybe, you know, does it go beyond him just wanting a quick lay? Is he just kind of also one of those people that is just desperate as well for human contact? You know, That's like, fair. It's, like I, I, it's just something I wonder. It's why I can't put a finger on Adam because Adam yeah. seems to, well, he see, you know, he, he cares in the end. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, he obviously feels guilt at the very least. And you he, know, he so. does make attempts to reconcile so that they can have a friendship. They can have some kind of relationship. Mm. Um, so I will I will definitely give him that, that he there's something about May that he is drawn to. Mm. And he just probably can't put his finger on how what exactly that is and what he wants from it. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing. It's it's why I really appreciate this film, because nobody nobody in this like everyone, for the most part, who betrays May in one degree or another you know, none of them are are straight up bad people. No, they just they just are who they are. You mm-hmm. know, and it, and I kind of like that that really no one in this film is technically a villain. They it's just that everybody's flawed. Like it, yeah. go, it goes along, going along with that tagline. 
you know, of there essentially are no perfect parts or, or no perfect holes. You know, I, it just plays right in. <laughs> perfect holes. <laughs> it just it just plays right into, you know, this whole idea of like nobody's perfect. Yeah. You know, um, so kind of speaking on that, like there's a huge parallel in this film between May and her doll Susie that her mom gives her when she's a kid and her and, you know, her mom lays down the line on her at the time that becomes a big theme of the movie which is her mom says, well, I always say if you can't find a friend, make one, or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and she gives her this doll, Susie, and then she tells her, no, 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 you can't take Susie out of the box. She stays in the box, right? So what what are your thoughts on the parallels between May and the doll, Susie, in this movie? Well, I think the parallels is they're ostensibly the same character. Because um, mm. May has locked a large part of herself off from from the outside world. She's kept herself kind of bubbled and in this glass box the same way Susie has. Not really feeling like she can show, you know, the world who she is and really be her true self. Which is who I feel like we get at the end. I think that very mm. end is us getting May as she is. And I think, you know, our parallels that we have is throughout the movie... You know, as May is trying to make these connections with people, make friends, make lovers, what have you, um, and it's not working out the way that she wants, the glass on Susie's case is breaking. And I think that's really showcasing the cracks that May is having as she's dealing with this rejection and it's kind of breaking her a bit. So so I'll, I'll add on to that and just saying that, you know, I, I agree with all that, but I think that one other way to look at the the cracks happening with the case is it i think it goes beyond just her being rejected it, it, well it doesn't go beyond her being rejected but to, but to add an extroverted explanation onto it to me it, it more represents like she's being rejected but it's being rejected in a sense of every time may puts herself out there a little bit herself gets denied you yes. know, and and each denial leads to more cracks in the case. So, so it's basically like you know, to me, th- this whole relationship between May and the doll is just like honestly one of, in my opinion, just one of the best reflections of the self versus <laughs> what we show people. You know, uh-huh. in the sense that you know, it it feels like from the minute that. May has her uh, her lazy eye and is given this doll from the very minute that she's a child all the way on to being an adult. She is hiding herself mm-hmm. because she has put herself in this case in order to protect herself from the world. And, and she's kept herself in this case for so long <laughs> that, that it's honest, ostensibly like ruined the rest of her life, you know, in the sense Ew. that she has withdrawn from the world so much instead of putting herself out there but it's gotten to the point now where it's like every little rejection that you know we can generally deal with as adults for may it's a a complete shattering of her id you know like it's a shattering of the confidence that she's trying to find because every time she tries to uh, uh, she tries to get that confidence Mm. it's shut down right yeah which i think is the most heartbreaking thing for me in this film because the rejection that she faces really isn't that bad. Mm. Like, you know, by by normal standards, like, it's really not that bad. It's rejection that you would face normally, like, regularly as a kid into adulthood type of thing so that you're a little bit more used to it, I guess. Yeah. But for May, you know, she's kept herself so far away because she feels like her eye is the thing that, like, is why nobody wants to be friends with her. That, like, you know, she just, she can't handle those those little imperfections, those little bumps in the road, which right. is really kind of tragic. Well, it's tragic for that. It's tragic because, you know, every time I watch this movie, I'm just like, I'd be your friend, May. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe not your boyfriend because you might bite my lip and rub my blood all over you, but I'd be your friend, you know? So, like, you know, so it's tragic in that sense. Like, she's trying so hard to find a friend, and it's like, I'd be, I'd, I'd hang out with you, you know? Like, you seem fine to me. But, but no, you're right. Like, the, the things that she encounters are honestly very reasonable, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, especially Adam getting his lip bit, 
and then her rubbing his blo- <laughs> her his blood all over him. Like most reactions would be, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Holy shit, you fucking psycho!" As yep. he like runs out screaming. And, and in Adam's case, Adam is doing his best to be like, you know, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, this is not quite working out for me. Have a good night. You know, like he try he tries very hard to not freak out at her. Right. Right. Well, uh, Adam's reaction to all of that is really mild considering what happened. Like, yeah, if you have a girl smearing blood on herself and trying to get you into bed, that, yeah, you may not react super, super well to that. But I think that's, you know, really how May deals with dating and relationships. Rubbing blood on herself? (laughs) Well, kind of, because, I mean, like, she doesn't have any experience with any of this stuff. Um, and so I feel like with with May, when it comes to dating and relationships, it's all in reflecting back what other people show her. That's the better way to put it. Not, <laughs> not her. May doesn't deal with the relationships by just rubbing blood on herself no. every time. But she. No. But no, you're right. Look, May, you're right. Yes, May, May takes what other people give her. And she's like a chameleon, right? Like mm-hmm. she thinks that, you know, that's your idea of romance. So that's my idea of romance now, you know, because at this point in May's life, I don't know that May necessarily has an idea of romance because May seems to have, well, I I shouldn't say that. May doesn't know how to express feelings, right? She's very reserved and locked up in this doll case, right? Mm -hmm. Like that doll is basically her soul for all intents and purposes. (laughs) And... So, yeah, so when Adam shows her this short of a couple that is having a picnic and it's nice and sweet and then they start eating each other, you know, and rubbing their, each other's blood all over each other, May sees that as like, oh, this is what Adam thinks is romantic. Like, May, May has no concept of subtlety or romance fiction. Or, or... No, no, no. I think she has a concept of romance. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that she had basically, like, May doesn't know how to read the room, you know? Like, she, like she's like you in the sense that... <laughs> that you hear a joke and you think logically about the joke where you're like, well, I, no, that wouldn't really happen. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you know what I'm talking yep. about. And like, yes, I do. <laughs> and, and, and May's like that with other things. May's like that with the relationships. May's like that with, with sex. You know, like she, she views it as, okay, well, this is what Adam must think is sweet because he made this movie about it. So this is what I think is sweet now, you know? And, 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 it, and for May, you know, that whole concept of, these two people eating each other, like, you know, she she doesn't really have that uh, that sensibility of this is weird or not, you know, <laughs> like like to her, she might actually she might actually view it as sweet that these people love each other so much that they are literally consuming each other, right? Like, yeah, I mean, her only response to that was she calls the movie sweet, and then her only criticism was I don't think that she could bite that entire I- finger off in one go. <laughs> Right, so so she she's obviously not looking at it in the in the same logical way that we might, right? Yeah. So, like she she's really looking at it as the she's really looking at that movie as as being realistic, and that is her realistic view of relationships. So the thing with the film is that May is ostensibly a breakup movie. Like that's really what it is. You know, mm-hmm. on, on its surface, you might think it's something else, but at the heart of it, May is a movie that is a breakup film, and it's about relationships, and a, and it's about, in particular, this relationship between May and Adam. And you know, to me, the whole the film is really interesting because May and Adam have this super brief fling, and it's it's the kind of thing where the rest of us, you know. It would be something where, like, maybe we're upset that it didn't work out, but we move on. Because yeah. with Adam and May, May likes Adam before he even knows that she exists. They have one night together, like, literally one night together and a lunch before that. And that's it. You know, but she, well, two nights together, I guess. <laughs> they have two nights together <laughs> and one lunch, right? So, for all intents and purposes, three dates, mm-hmm. you know? But the film, but the way that she is so intense about this relationship and the way that it plays out, it feels more like instead of this brief fling that they had, it, you know, to me it plays out almost like going through a divorce where they have this long history and deep feelings and then someone else comes into the picture, like the girl that Adam starts dating, right? Mm-hmm. 
and and honestly both of them kind of seem to go for these people that really aren't their types but you know they're kind of like rebound people i think polly could be her type look polly <laughs> could be her type but let's be honest she ain't interested in polly in the moment where polly's telling her she likes her she's thinking about adam you yeah. know she's not She's not there for a fling with Polly. She's mm-hmm. there because she's upset and thinking about Adam. Yeah. Polly's just kind of like a second choice, right? So, <laughs> and it's the same for Adam. Like, he even admits that he's dating this girl who isn't all there in terms of intelligence, right? Yeah. But he doesn't really give a shit because he just kind of wants a rebound chick, right? <laughs> so, so the film, the film takes this really brief moment and it plays it out like it's this lifetime of emotions between these two characters. I mean, look, it's... I personally don't view it as a breakup movie. Like, look, I, I get where you're coming from with, with all of that, but I see it more as this is this is May ostensibly breaking out of her cocoon. This is her going off and getting life experiences and all the things that she should have gotten when she was younger, and she didn't. Um, it's still a breakup movie. It's okay. all about her and Adam. Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Adam plays a large part in it, but... Look, I love my girl Polly, and I'm not going to minimalize her. Literally the first scene of May after she's a child is her talking about how she's attracted to Adam. Like, and it ends with Adam and his hands touching her face. Like, this movie is about their breakup. <laughs> I, I, Yes, I agree that it's also about May coming out of her shell, mm-hmm. but it's totally a breakup movie. <laughs> you know, I find watching May and how she's making connections really interesting because I... Honestly, for me, I don't think that May is particularly looking for a romantic connection with anybody. I think she's literally just looking for a connection, a friend with anybody. And like a lot of us, we're made to believe that it has to be romantic. Like it has to be, it has to be with a partner and somebody who's going to love you in that way. And she keeps trying because we see her try with multiple people. Because yes, there's Adam in the beginning, but there's also like the random dude on the, the bus stop who's early in the beginning. It's her trying to connect with Polly and getting rejected. Yes, yes, yes. But you have to <laughs> you have to look at this though in terms of like beyond what the film's showing you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so... You're absolutely right. The film is presenting itself as this movie that's about May becoming more herself. Yes. You know, which is what she is in the end. Like, mm-hmm. by the time we get to the end of the movie, she is straight up dressed up like Susie, mm-hmm. which is, you know, for better or worse, her soul in this glass case that she's kept locked up. You know, like, she she is Susie, as we were talking about. So the film is very much about that. But in another way, it is about relationships and how they... Uh, affect you because you know that guy who she brings into her apartment with the whole cat thing uh-huh. like you can stretch that to also be sort of reflective of again rebounding and how and how because Adam rejected her she's trying to find other outlets for the attention and the friendship that she needs yeah but with him I mean that's why for me it's because I keep coming back to it's about friendship She's just misconstruing what she wants. Um, and what she's really looking for is a connection. Like, not necessarily, like, a romantic one. She's just looking for a connection. Like, the dude in the end, she asks him, she doesn't want to fuck him. She just wants him to be her best friend. I, I disagree that she's not looking for a romantic connection. Because, <laughs> I mean, yes, like, she obviously really wants a friend. That, you mm-hmm. know, that's <laughs> that's on the fucking tagline for the poster or whatever. But... But if she wanted, if she just wanted a friend, I don't think she'd be so obsessed with Adam's hands touching her, you know? Like, I, I don't know. She wants a connection. She wants to feel that deep connection of that intimacy that you only get with that kind of relationship. She wants a friend in general, but she also wants the intimacy of really knowing somebody and them really knowing her. But you can get that with friendship. It doesn't have to be romance. For for me, that's what this this is the part that I connect to a little bit more because like I view it through the the lens of it's somebody trying to figure out how to connect with the world and how to do that in a way that doesn't get you rejected. Well, let's just put it this way: Why is she so obsessed with Adam, not anybody else? Because he's got really pretty hands. She's attracted <laughs> to him, right? <laughs> She wants to be with him, yes. Yes. Does she want to be with the guy who sees the cat in her fridge? Does she want to be with Polly? Like, she, 
she is finding friends in those people, mm-hmm. but Adam is this deeper connection that she is seeking. Okay. There is a connection that you only get from an intimate partner who's not just a friend. <laughs> it doesn't mean sex. <laughs> like, it's not about sex. Yeah. But there, there is an intimacy and a trust that only comes with that deep connection that you do have with a partner, with someone who is there all the time, who, you know who gets you for who you are, who accepts you for who you are. And and some of that goes beyond friendship. Like it it is something else entirely. I absolutely agree with you on, on all of that wordage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Take the win, hon. How do you feel about the fact that May looks at people in as pieces? Like what, what does that kind of read to you? Or I think that's a very, look, I think that's very realistic. I think that's how we all look at people to begin with. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, like, look, we don't, we don't meet new people in our lives and go, I like all of this. We meet and connect with people because there's one specific thing. That person really likes the same comic book I do. This person likes this horror film. Oh, that person has a Jason Voorhees tattoo. I think I can connect with them. We all look at people, if we're being honest, as kind of like, pieces to a puzzle it's just that you know we all as we become adults mature and accept the whole person the pieces that we were first drawn to and the pieces that like eh, might not 100% be our jam like if we're being honest we all have friends that we love dearly who do things that annoy the fuck out of us Mm. um and so I think that's what I like about this movie is that it acknowledges the fact that like we're all drawn to people for one particular reason to begin with. Um, that's how we start all of our relationships. So I view it as a very, you know, honest portrayal of how relationships start. It's just that, you know, May, May takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> well, it's an honest portrayal and it's also kind of reflecting the fact that May's also a bit hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and th- and this is another tragedy of the movie is that, you know, May expects everyone else to be perfect, but May's not perfect. No. You know, and, and and that's a problem that, you know, directly comes from her upbringing with her mom being so obsessed with perfection. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, you know, her mom is obviously not from the 50s because this being a 2002 film and you're going to average that May's probably like 20 something you know, she was probably born in, like, the 80s, maybe. Yeah. Which would make her mom probably, like, maybe she was born in the 50s, but is not a 50s mom. But she she reflects kind of, her mom does, reflects, like, these slight values from the 50s of this concept of, you know, women have to be perfect and look pretty all the time and always be, like, sparkling, you know, like this yep. dumb shit that came out in the 50s. <laughs> Where it's just like, you know, women were made so much to be like, you have to be this per- perfect image <laughs> of like the stay at home wife, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the 50s is all about that bullshit. So, you know, her mom seems to reflect some of that. Like you, c- you can easily imagine that her, that her mom probably had a mom similar that yeah. was putting these concepts on her, right? Um, and her dad probably put the same on her. But uh, so May grows up thinking that you have to be perfect. You have to look perfect. You have to act perfect. And and her mom tries so hard to cover up this lazy eye of hers that May just gets this idea in her head that, like, if you're not perfect, you're not a good person, you know? Right. And so it's unfortunate because, you know, that is really the crux of probably what destroyed May's entire life is that, you know, if you grow up thinking that everyone around you has to be perfect or they're not good enough for you, mm-hmm. then no shit you're not going to make any friends, you know? <laughs> Because cause as you were just talking about, like, it, it is interesting because the pieces of people, and often it's a physical attribute, right? They are generally the things that we first notice about someone, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't see someone from across the room and think, my God, I love their personality, <laughs> right? Like, you don't think that. Your Never. First, your first draw to somebody is going to be how they look. As shallow as that is, that's just... A, that's how it goes. That's just an honest <laughs> aspect of human nature, right? Like, you are attracted physically first. Generally, that's how it's going to work. So with May, you know, she she is attracted to these different pieces of people at first. But the problem with May is that she cannot accept that anyone isn't perfect. Like, once she... Once she starts to know even a little bit about them, 
it shatters this idea that she's built up in her head of people. And, you know, why I keep saying that this film is about relationships <laughs> is that that is something that we tend to do in relationships, right? Like, when you start dating somebody, you build up this image in your head of, like, what you think they should be or what mm -hmm. you want them to be. And then when they're not that thing, that can often be what kind of kills early yeah. relationships. Or, or That can often be what kills relationships early on is that the person doesn't live up to what you expect and then you're a dick and instead of letting <laughs> you know instead of accepting them for who they are you just move on and, and it's the thing that happens with adam sorry i'm going back to the relationship <laughs> things it really bugs me i want to make my point that this is about relationships is that you know going back to the whole thing where where adam and may sleep together uh -huh. or attempt to that's another reflection of relationships and the idea that you know it kind of touches on this concept of how more often than not, men are kind of dicks. And if a woman is not great in bed or whatever, or isn't like sexually adventurous or whatever the hell they expect, you know, yep. from the first time, then a lot of men will move on and not. They'll be and out. Not call. Yep. And they'll be out. And it's, and it's a bunch of bullshit, you know, and May's kind of reflective of that. But yeah, it does seem like the thing where she, um, she thinks by fixing her one imperfection, she only views one imperfection in herself and that's her eye that yeah. once that's fixed, well, then everything will be fine. Well, and it shows you how shallow May actually is. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's, I hate to say that because I love this character and, and you do want to root for her in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but she ain't perfect either. You no. know, and, and that is her downfall is that she thinks that she's perfect aside yeah. from her eye being fixed. And she doesn't really realize that that's just not how the world works. No, and <laughs> she also doesn't realize that just because somebody says something like, I love weird is not a contract. Uh -huh. Like both Adam and Polly say that to her. And so she gets it in her head. Well, that means that you're my forever person. And it's just like, no, no, hon. They, they just said that they like this thing. That doesn't mean that they're going to be yours forever. She takes it to such absolutes for somebody who like, yeah, focuses in on one piece. Yeah. Everything becomes an absolute with her. Yeah. Well, when your best friend's a doll that never ages, you know, it's... <laughs> it's hard to compete with that. A little bit. Which, make, you know, just made me think, too, like, there's a... there's a, I mean, not really, because it's not about aging, but there's, like, a slight Dorian Gray thing kind of going on here with the doll being kept in this case. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know... Like, for those of you that don't know the story of Dorian Gray, like, it's basically this guy who has a portrait of himself that ages, and then he stays the same age, mm -hmm. right? And just no one's allowed to see the portrait. Otherwise, if they do, then I think he ages if, or if it's destroyed or something. If, I don't know. If he sees the portrait, then the magic's reversed and everything that happened to the portrait happens to him. Right. Okay. So, so sorry, I'm all over the place with this one, but there's just so much that I love about May. So, you know, that kind of reflects back on when May brings the doll to the blind kids and it, the glass ends up shattering and the doll is out, you know, all of a sudden... That happens, and now May, sort of like, by the doll finally being out of the case and by the glass finally shattering, uh -huh. May becomes who she has been in that doll this entire time. Yes. Because May is the doll. Like, obviously, you know, all the conversations mm -hmm. May, ha May is having with the doll, it's her talking to herself. And it just so happens that the doll is the more confident one. The doll is the one quote-unquote teaching her how to kiss the doll <laughs> you know the doll is the one that kind of orders may around a bit mm -hmm. and you know so so it's like that glass shattering like it's may finally coming into her own it just so happens that now she's also a bit murdery <laughs> well that's what i really like about like that scene is that um the glass shatters on the doll and all the blind kids get cut up by the glass they get cut up by this unseen like barrier that was around may and i feel like that's what we get with the end as well is that yeah. like these people who didn't know better who didn't know what they were dealing with are now suddenly in the line of fire now that may's finally released um, and that's why for me, I think that the the very end of this is really powerful and significant, like with her building the fucking creature, the perfect friend. I feel like the end is so fucking powerful. It's such a powerful ending for this entire film. Like, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, my direct take is that May dies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think she's dead? Absolutely. This is not a supernatural movie. You know, it's not... 
May May is not a supernatural film. So and and look, if it is, it gives literally no context for that until the very last seconds of the film. So mm-hmm. so I view that whole thing with the sort of Frankenstein's monster friend that she's built. Uh, you know, honestly, that to me is just May bleeding out and dying, and <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, finally. In my opinion, finally coming to terms with herself and mm. with what has happened with everything. Because, you know, so so one of the main things with May this entire time is that she just wants to be heard and to be seen, right? Yes. And again, I know you don't like <laughs> that I'm doing this, but this is how I connect it to relationships, is that... You know, to me, the film really does feel like one big reflection on relationships and how men typically treat women in these things. Because, cause, you know, May is this character that is constantly trying to speak up and express herself. And even the person she cares most about, Adam, is not listening, mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't see her, as she says. Like, she wants to be seen, right? And... Basically, everybody is just using her for sex, like, when it comes down to it. Like, Adam begins using her by sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polly's using her for that. They're all using her for these basic things, and what May wants is so much deeper than, you know, just these, like, flings, right? She yeah. wants more than that. So, to me, this building of the front in the end, you know, it it, it, it reads to me like... Going back to the relationship thing. <laughs> it reads it reads to me like a really tragic thing in that, you know, like I said, to me this whole film is kind of playing out like a like a stretched out divorce, right? Mm-hmm. And to me that ending kind of reads as May committing suicide over not really being able to live with the fact that she has been so kind of brutally turned down, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that she like, you know, like, look, like, mental health is really complicated. And yeah. and while you can look at the things that Adam or Polly or anyone else does as being kind of, you know, sort of a shrug of the shoulder for most people, like, most of us would be able to deal with that and, yeah. and at the very least move on, you know? Mm-hmm. But for May, again, her one flame is so powerful for her, so meaningful that... Where for somebody that's a few hours that they enjoyed, mm-hmm. for May that's like a significant moment in her life. You know, yeah. that's that's like a lifetime for her. So to be turned down like this, to be betrayed, you know, it just strikes me as like a, a commentary on, you know, that that inability to overcome a a, a relationship that has broken you. You know, mm-hmm. because because that's another thing is like even though she is coming more into herself in the end like the glass breaking with the doll also reflects the breaking of may's mind you know it it reflects the breaking of herself and so and so her her doing this like i i do see the cutting out the eye as as actually deep down like a suicide and and for the first time she when when those hands i'm all over the place i know but let me let me just wrap it up with this and just say that you know, again, why I keep going back to the relationship thing is the our very last image. It's not Polly's neck rubbing on her. <laughs> it's not the the arms of <laughs> the random dude that comes in that's on her. It's not the legs of Polly's girlfriend that's yeah. touching her. It's Adam's hands. It's these hands that she just wants to feel caress her face again, right? Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you that it's about relationships. I definitely agree that the whole thing is about relationships. The only place I disagree with you is necessarily the romance element. Because I'm seeing it more she wants a relationship. She wants a partner, like you said. I agree with partnership. But for me, the ending is about accepting our own um, imperfections. Because look, she puts her Frankenstein monster together and it's all these perfect pieces and the perfect pieces still don't see her, don't acknowledge her. It's not until she gives up her own imperfection, accepts her imperfection um, and gives it to the monster that the monster sees and reacts her. Yeah, but she doesn't give her her imperfection. She does. She gives her good eye. No, she cuts out her lazy eye. She gives her good eye. I'm pretty sure it's a lazy eye. Pretty sure it's her good eye. 
<laughs> okay, so my theory me, 100% has to do with the lazy, if it's the lazy eye. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, well, look, maybe all my shit falls apart now. <laughs> well, look, maybe you're right. Look, you're... They can both be right. Like th- this is this is the kind of ending that's totally left up to interpretation. So, mm-hmm. so I don't think you're off. And, and look, I could just be having a dumb moment, and it is her lazy eye that she cuts out. I thought it was her perfect eye because mm-hmm. this Frankenstein's monster is a is a concoction of everything that's perfect. And so I, you know, so it would not. So it makes sense that she would cut out her perfect eye to make mm-hmm. this thing see right. Yes. Now, the, the the message of her accepting her imperfection is much more beautiful than mine. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that that's a nicer way to view it. Um, I have the positive ending for once. Yeah, no, that is the positive ending. Um, my, mine's obviously much darker, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I view this as a world that just kind of chewed up and spit me out. And, Agreed. And, you know, and it, to me, it's... To me, that moment with her, because this is not a supernatural film, because it is in her head, you know, it 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 honestly does reflect like May kind of being her own best friend, you know. Yes. And so, if you want to take anything positive out of that, out of my interpretation of it, it's basically just that we all are our own best friends in a sense. Like, like at the end of the day, all you truly have is yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you might have, uh, like, I might have my wife, you know, yeah. or you might have. Your, your fur babies or your real kids or family or whatever. But at the end of the day, the only thing that you can 100% rely on being there all the time is you. you and you <laughs> and have so, to. And so you have to be, you have to learn to live with yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And unfortunately, again, in May's case, I, I just view it as, you know, she gave herself up to the world and the world rejected her. Yes. And she couldn't deal with that, you know? So, so to me, it's a very sad ending. <laughs> it is a sad ending. I don't think there's any, any happiness in it. Well, there's some happiness yeah. if you, if you view it as, you know, her, her accepting herself. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, that doesn't mean she's not dead at the end. I think that, I think you're probably right. I'm pretty sure gouging your own eye out is not going to result in you living through the experience. No, but I, but look, I'm, so that we understand and that we're on the same page here, I'm yep. not saying that her cutting out her eye kills her. Mm-hmm. I, I'm saying that like when you when you read these, so when I say that you know that she commits suicide, I'm not saying that her cutting out her eye kills her. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the end reflects suicide in the sense that you can imagine in another reality where we don't see her cut out her eye, she probably ultimately. Mm-hmm. took her own life because she was so rejected by the world. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely like, does. It's not what the film's showing you, it's what it's telling you. Yeah. That means anything. <laughs> that absolutely does. Um, but all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of May? Adam's girlfriend for letting May in on Halloween night. Like, this dude's told you that she's kind of not all there. And you're inviting her in the house? Bitch, come on. Yeah, she's pretty dumb, but I got to say Paula, or, yeah, I got to say Polly because... Polly's an idiot. Um, <gasps> I just can't. My girl. Look, the if I have, I I only have one issue with the entire film, and it's the fact that Polly's dumb jokes are just they don't land for me <laughs> because they feel so dumb. Uh-huh. Like she's written so dumb at times that like I just. Nobody's that dumb. <laughs> like, Unless she's trying to get the attention of her cute coworker. But she's not. She's not. She just, she literally doesn't know that scoople means scalpel. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, when I first watched this film, you know, she would repeat the dialogue that the doctor said, mm-hmm. and I instantly knew what the doctor was talking about, you know? So, because, like, because. get like, it. You're smart. No, it's not about being smart. It's just that the, the words that she's repeating that the doctor said aren't that different from no. what he actually said, you know? No. Like, she says something about, like, a. Fucal exam on Miss Kitty mm-hmm. and and May's like fecal exam on Miss Kitty it's like no shit Polly <laughs> you know like that. that's what I mean is like some of her some of her dialogue is just written to be so dumb yeah that, I'm just, that it almost bothers me where I'm like come on come on Lucky nobody's that stupid <laughs> that's fair I still love her though I'm not saying I don't love her she's yep. just an idiot yep uh, yeah she is but alright what about your killer death of May 
Oh, I really like Ambrosia's death. That's uh, Polly's new girlfriend when she gets like double stabbed with a scalpel and then we get the like blood mixing with the milk. I get that we, we get imagery like that a lot, but it's always my favorite, so. Well, it's pretty great and it comes so suddenly too, you know, you- so like it, like that, that's one of May's more vicious kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's also my favorite because that's just May being like, fuck <laughs> you, bitch. Like, <laughs> you know, her other kills are much more intimate, but that one is just like, well, she I'm going to kill bitch. <laughs> she hates that bitch. That girl's mean to her. So not very nice. Nope. Uh, what about your killer MVP of me? Oh, I think that obviously has to go to uh, Angela Bettis for, for May because she's phenomenal in this. Like, she makes this movie. Yeah, so Angela's mine as well. You know, I think Lucky McKee directed a hell of a film and wrote a great script. And, you know, but but to me, Angela Bettis, just, she brings that character to life in such a way that, you know, I just I just don't know that many people could or would have in the same role. So no, it's it's absolutely Bettis. Like Bettis is just utterly mesmerizing in this role. I already went I already went off my whole rant about why she's so great in this or how she's so great in this. Uh but it is for sure Bettis. So all right, so that's gonna do it for us on May. So we're gonna be moving into our Patreon content where we're gonna discuss what we think it says about May that she works at a vet and yet doesn't have any pets. <laughs> and uh and we'll also talk about the significance of the cigarettes that she keeps carrying around in the entire film uh so if you'd like to hear that just go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic for just a dollar a month you get access to all of our additional bonus content uh we also have bonus episodes there voting on our themes for the month voting on bonus episodes you want to hear uh recommendations for new movies coming up all that kind of stuff so again go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic every dollar goes right back to our writers and helps us pay them and keep the site going and keep the podcast going so any bit of help would be great. Otherwise, we just really appreciate you listening to us. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about one that I know Chris is excited for, which is Tragedy Girls. Yeah! <laughs> uh, so we'll be discussing that next week. So go and check that one out if you can before then. Otherwise, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>